0: Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 251, for the 31st of August, 2016. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here with Paul Ducklin this week. Welcome back, Paul.
1: Hello, Chester.
0: Well, it's been a a busy couple weeks, and uh, I had a a holiday, so the chat chat took a a brief holiday as well. But uh, we've we've whittled it down to our favorite stories, and one of the biggest ones this week that uh, I wanted to discuss was this Opera's backend servers being breached. Of course, for people that maybe aren't quite as nerdy as us, um, maybe not even realize Opera's a an alternative browser, as I think you called it number five, if you're counting the big four.
1: Yes. Uh, sort of after IE slash Edge, Chrome slash Chromium, Firefox, even Safari, then comes Opera. It was always uh, something of an independent browser. It had its own rendering engine. It was proudly produced in Norway. These days, it uses the Google fork of WebKit. I think it's called Blink as its engine. And indeed, the Opera Company has been sold now to a Chinese consortium. But it's still, as you say, an, an alternative browser with a loyal band of followers, it seems.
0: Yeah, and sadly, uh, similar to many other browsers, I use Firefox, uh, it offers one of these uh, synchronization server options. So you can synchronize your browsing history, you can synchronize your bookmarks, you can synchronize your tabs and your passwords, all that kind of stuff across your mobile phone, your desktop, your laptop, your Linux, your Mac, your Windows, whatever it is. And and I think a lot of people often take advantage of these uh, services, although I, I think the good news in this case, since their server was breached, was that it was 1.7 million users out of about 300 million potential Opera browser users. So at least it's not everyone who uses Opera who's impacted, but this is another one of these situations where storing your passwords in the cloud comes with its own risks
1: and of course there's the other password for everybody that opera needs to store and that's the login password now they say that the login passwords were hashed and salted which got me alarmed straight from the off because actually what they really mean is salted and hashed since that's the order in which you do it so one wonders why they didn't say so and they're saying well out of an abundance of caution words i've never fully understood the function of in a release of this sort, we think you might want to consider resetting third party services whose passwords you've stored in the Opera Cloud. My reading of that, Chester, is that when you say an abundance of caution you might want to do this, what you really mean is we don't feel confident enough to say it's not necessary. Therefore, why not just advise people to do it? And so we're advising a you know a across the board password change for anyone who's affected
0: by this. I mean, this goes along with uh, another story we're going to cover in a minute about password changes and password rules, which is if you believe the hashes may have been taken by criminals, then you need to go and and change those passwords. And that's precisely uh, what we would recommend you do. Speaking of kind of assuming the worst, I, I, I think when we look at just about any system, we have to assume that it can be compromised. And that's true for Apple customers as well. Uh there's, there's some new zero-day uh vulnerabilities that were patched by Apple in, in iOS that uh appear to have maybe been used uh against selected targets in the wild. So it's prudent to uh to get those patches installed right away.
1: Yes, and a good reminder to Apple fans that there is no magic security smoke in iOS or OS 10 for that matter, that means it's automatically more secure and doesn't have zero days. Uh, Credit to Apple in this case. Apparently, they were able to push out this fix within 10 days of it being disclosed. And it's a story very much like ones that you and I have discussed before, that it looks as though there's a sort of trifecta of bugs, each of which on its own is kind of bad or dangerous enough. But combined, it sort of makes, hey, I can install malware remotely onto your computer... It turns that scenario into a, hey, I can do a remote jailbreak. Uh, There's a WebKit bug that actually gives you remote code execution. So you can implant code that does something it's not supposed to without telling you. There's a kernel bug that does some data leakage that reveals an address in the kernel that lets you uh, trigger the last attack, apparently, which is an elevation of privilege. And then, of course, once you've freed yourself from the normal strictures that Apple's put in place, then as the attacker, you can kind of install anything you want.
0: I think the stringing of bugs together is indicative of what we're going to start seeing more of. I mean, the easy to exploit bugs are being discovered more and more quickly in most products and, and uh, you know, simple one bug remote code execution, do whatever you want kind of stuff, uh, things like bug bounties have been eliminating those from products, which is great, but we need to not underestimate some of these other bugs like the information disclosure in the kernel you're talking about, right? Like you look at a Microsoft post on a on a patch Tuesday and they'll, they'll rate that as a low risk vulnerability, but as soon as you combine it with two other low risk vulnerabilities, suddenly you've got total ownership and it sounds like that's precisely what happened in iOS.
1: Yes, it does. But Chester, I guess the flip side of that is that what we don't want to get is a situation where people look at a list of bugs for the month or the week or the quarter or whatever it is for the product they're using and go, oh, well, there's only a remote code execution or there's only an elevation of privilege. So obviously the crooks can't combine those. If I can implant a rogue app on your computer, even if it can only do things that you would normally do, like read your documents... That's jolly well bad enough all on its own, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. You also have to realize that just because the bugs that are fixed are only the bugs that are known, and and your adversary very well may have other bugs up their sleeve, so... Just just fix stuff, people. Just get the patches installed as quickly as you can and get rid of things you don't need. Look at removing apps you don't use on your phone, removing flash on your browser, whatever it is. Less code to attack is a smaller attack surface that's less bugs. Less bugs can't be combined as easily because there's fewer things to exploit, and it's just that simple. So another controversial topic since uh, apparently Apple devices can have bugs. uh, While we're on controversy, we can talk a little bit about password security. Uh, I, I wrote an article for Naked Security about a talk I went to at PasswordsCon in Las Vegas during the same week as Black Hat and DEFCON, and I uh, thought it was really interesting that NIST is sort of modernizing the government's perspective on what uh, authentication systems within the government should use, and I, I quite, I, you know, I agreed with a significant proportion of the recommendation that NIST is proposing, and I, I so I wrote a story on it. And I thought it was pretty interesting, and there's a few a few things in particular that came out of that that I think grabbed a lot of people's attention, and the first one I'll, I'll bring up is no password expiration. They're basically saying if there's no good reason to change your password, such as your hash is being stolen from Opera, then there's no good reason to change your password, right? Let people choose a long, strong, uh, memorizable password and don't make them change it all the time so that they don't weaken it. That's great, isn't it? It's almost as though they listened to that techno you and I did, I
1: think it was three years ago about busting password myths, where we offered that very opinion that we kind of get the reason why you want to have, you don't want people to have passwords that last forever. But as you pointed out, if you force people to change their password every one month or every quarter, and they've worked at a company for N years, then you know know what two digits they're going to have on the end of their password to make it pass muster every time they're forced to change it for no reason. And I think the the really clever way you put that at the time was it gets people in the habit of a bad habit.
0: You know, you have to put logic to this as well, which is you need to be carefully monitoring the places where you're storing those passwords so that you are aware if they get stolen, uh, so that you can take advantage of the salting and hashing. And, and and again, another NIST recommendation in this case was the PBKDF2 method of storing passwords in at least, I believe it was 10,000 iterations uh, in order to slow down uh, password uh, hashing, cracking attempts. Were there anything that was any in particular that jumped out uh, to you?
1: The one I really liked, as did you, is the idea that trying to define randomness by having artificial rules for complexity is a very bad idea. And my understanding is NIST is saying this whole thing about when you choose a password that a warning pops up saying you must have one capital, one lower, one digit, two wackies, and three of Rudolph's reindeers is over. And we want to encourage people to choose complicated passwords by making it really easy for them to choose passwords that work for them. And if that's a phrase of 56 characters in words that are all typed in lowercase, you're going to have enough entropy
0: well, yeah, and that, that that brings up some other interesting challenges. They they do recommend using a dictionary of up to a hundred thousand entries to you know stop people from using too common of passwords like Red Sox win or Jessica or my password is password. But but you, you need to be careful, right? Because if you have a dictionary block in place that, for example, says password is not allowed as a password. Um, You know that people are going to go password digit one, password digit two, and you can't necessarily do that for your entire dictionary. So if a crook gets their hands on your dictionary, you're in deep trouble because they know that users that are uh, rebuked with the no, you're not allowed to have the password of princess is just going to do princess one. And in the, the and it could give the crooks an upper hand. So there's a lot of really interesting advice in that. They've posted. Uh, I posted links to both the NIST website and to their GitHub. Um, there's soliciting feedback from experts and professionals on what we think about passwords. And I encourage uh, people that have strong opinions to share them with NIST so that they can improve their process. And hopefully, what'll come out of that is a high-quality, modern, forward-thinking document on password security that all of us can use to hopefully, uh, in our own organizations and in our own products, improve how we handle and uh, store and secure passwords.
1: I guess, the Chester, perhaps the most revolutionary change, because obviously, you know, if you're already doing password hashing and you're doing 5,000 iterations, and now you're going to have to go to 10,000 or 20,000, that's just an evolution or a slight tweak. But the biggest revolutionary change, my understanding is that NIST is saying because of the fact that, at least in the U.S., it's pretty much impossible to stop some rogue mobile phone shop issuing a sim in somebody else's phone number two-factor authentication using sms is basically going to be out the window and it won't be permitted at all is that correct
0: yeah they're they're well in essence no new newly deployed systems can use it and they recommend systems that are currently using sms phase it out and it's expected that in the next iteration of this policy uh in, in the future when it's revised in a few years that the next revision will totally ban it and make sure that it's no longer implemented on existing systems. There's a lot of rather complicated wording of, of that particular policy, in particular related to the the idea that authenticating that the device is actually the device you think it is that you're using for the second factor and things like ensuring that your second factor communication on the return trip is is quote out of band or using a different communication technology than the technology being used to ask you for the the factor or the verification to begin with there's there's a lot of uh, details there that if you're a password nerd like me it's pretty good reading
1: yes ironically one of the best ways of doing a back channel the reply channel for your two factor authentication the best one of the best ways of making that separate from say the browser where you're typing in your regular password is of course, to use the mobile network, so you know you receive an s m s and then you have to construct and send back a reply but of course, if s m s is out of the window, we're going to have to find a new way to, to do that. Most authenticator app solutions your phone just pops up a code, but you go back to exactly the same browser where you just typed in your username, and your password, and put in the code so if you're already on a fake site, then you you're still giving away the all the credentials needed for the current transaction, perhaps to an imposter. It'll be interesting to see how that whole out-of-band second-factor reply is going to pan out in the future, particularly if the use of mobile phone text messages is banned.
0: And, and lastly, in many parts of the world, for many of our listeners, people are getting back uh, ready for back-to-school. Uh, of course, uh, many uh, kids here, especially at least in North America, will be returning to school after our Labor Day holiday at the beginning of September. And, uh, our colleague and the first producer of the chat chat, Maria, uh, wrote an article on naked security with some back to school tips. And, uh, I, I, just really enjoyed the article. I think it's a good thing to review. It's a great time to whether school's starting or not to take your children aside and remind them of, uh, good cyber hygiene, if you will. And I think my favorite one personally that I've must've said a thousand times, uh, is the first one in her article. If you wouldn't share it in person, don't post it online. And it's exactly that, right? The internet is the world's largest public place. And think about that before you start typing things in. Uh, Did you have any uh, favorites in the list uh, from your side? It's a kind of article that you could show to your own kids.
1: And it sort of explains to them why these things might be a good idea. And you know how it is with kids. Sometimes it's a lot easier to let them hear the bad news or the advice they don't really want to hear from a kind of cool auntie than to have it as a parental imposition. The advice, even though it's aimed at kids, is actually advice that we should all be following.
0: Well, if you go to Naked Security and you search for back to school, you can find that article at the top of the search list. And on that note, I'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat 251. Uh, for, for our listeners down in Australia, if you'd like to meet up while I'm down, uh, let me know. I'll be in Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sydney, and Perth uh, over the next couple of weeks. And hopefully I'll be continuing the chat chat from remote. And uh, as always, for all the latest security news, we recommend you go to nakedsecurity.sofas.com. And for uh, these podcasts, you can get them on iTunes, you can get them on the Google Play podcast store, you can get them on um, TuneIn or almost any other uh, app store out there that has great podcasts, or you can go over to SoundCloud.com slash Sofa Security. And until next time, stay secure.